Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Graceful, Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are composition over inheritance and elegance. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Steven, say graceful again. Graceful. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> trying to do it in that weird English accent thing that I do, but it didn't come out right. So uh-huh. Came out perfectly. <laughs> no, you just sounded like a like a like a, a heron. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. Ah. So first order of business, I'm sitting in the wrong chair here in the clubhouse. Yes. I messed everything it's up. Throwing me for a total loop. Uh-huh. Weird. Ellen Ellen and I switched places for logistical reasons. We, uh, we did the uh, horror games panel. The first of two, yeah. Uh, last week, um, and Ellen was the uh, the MC for that, and so I was just sitting in the corner, you know, playing um, engineer. <laughs> yeah, um, doing a crossword apparently. And yeah, I did. I did a whole Monday crossword <laughs> in like twelve minutes, which is fine. <laughs> I'm, I might have said this on the show before, but I'm really, really good at the Monday crossword, and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like once Tuesday rolls around, I mean, you know, flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little goofy the last few weeks, but generally yeah. we record every other week and we record two episodes at a time. Yeah. Um, because we are not a news co- podcast, although a couple of weeks ago we were. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because <laughs> uh, last Friday, just a few days ago, we re- we recorded um, our Unity, a Much Ado About Unity podcast right. episode. I don't know. Logistics are interesting. Yeah. And it's weird how we change a little bit and then it feels really weird. Yeah. That's games, baby. And that I- too. <laughs> But yes, you're oh, right. It does. Like so the little tiny thing does make a big difference. Theme. Everything is everything. <laughs> we get there in the end. But we just started. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Ellen, you have a, a, a piece of almost news? It's a news. Mm-hmm. It's new. It's news the way that we just said it. Okay. Um. So I've been working on a game uh, at work and it's called Noodle. Yeah. And it is, it is a Wordle-like puzzle game. Um, but the fun thing about all the games that, uh, we put on the platform, the training arcade is that it's content agnostic. Mm. So, um, authors, people who subscribe to the platform can go in and they can like write in their own content. They can bring in their own images depending on the game. Yeah. Um, and so we had the fun, the fun challenge of making a Wordle like game with variable letter, like variable word length. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It was really fun. And, um, from the beginning, we just knew it needed to be called Noodle. Like, it just, we wanted it to bake your noodle. We made all the themes noodles. Like, as if you do your puzzle, if you solve the puzzles quickly, you get more noodles in your bowl. Famously, um, noodles are of various lengths. Noodles are true, of true. various lengths. I didn't even think about that. It's got so much depth. Um, anyway, yeah. So, we're, at, we're, I believe the plan is to soft launch it this week with a few customers getting some access and getting to play around with it a little bit. Um, you know, we've done some play testing throughout as, you know, as we preach, mm-hmm. we try to practice. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, we're doing a soft launch this week and then, um, hopefully a full public launch with all the fanfare in the coming, in the coming weeks. Cool. Exciting. Yeah. It's, it's been, I mean, it's the first game that I've designed that's going up on this platform. Yeah. Um, Platform development, like develop, it just takes so much more. I feel like the game design and the the game design took like a fraction of the amount of time that the overall development did. Yeah, yeah. Just because there's just like 
a whole bunch of platform stuff you got to think about. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there are bugs, and then it's got to be yep. responsive, and you got to yep. work on all this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Having traumatic It's been flashes. a long week, man. <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> this is yep. my life. Oh, anyways. Yep. Yep, I'm not telling it any. <laughs> I'm not telling what any. I'm not saying anything that's new to anyone at this table. Right, I yeah. know, but it's just yeah. But yeah, uh, well, we'll move on to my thing. But Stephen, sounds like you've got some stuff going on. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, <laughs> at work. I just uh, maybe we should drill down into that a little bit. Um, it's just uh, at work. Basically, we've just like had um, there wasn't. I felt like there wasn't a lot to. Uh, basically, I'm not doing a good job of keeping track of the tasks I need to do. I think uh. it, it feels like a lot of things just kind of piled up at once, mm-hmm. um, which you know happens sometimes. But like I felt behind, and so some people were waiting on me to get stuff done. It has cascaded into this week as well. Um, and plus, like because of our recording stuff last week, that actually slowed me down too. So yeah, that's just how it is. That's it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but thanks for checking in. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my bit of meta here is I'm I'm going to be going to Chicago for a couple of days. Ooh. I feel like I just got back from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and that was a whole big deal because it was a vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as, as if I know the difference. <laughs> And, um, but then, uh, there's, there's a little Xbox event. It's like a little ID at Xbox kind of oh. thing. Um, I did one of these years ago oh, yeah. and I got to meet some of the folks there. It was really nice. And it's at the Microsoft campus in Chicago. And I'm like, that's cool. kind of close. Mm-hmm. And I've got some things I might want to talk to some folks at Xbox about that would be nice to see if I can get it in person. Okay. Um, I'm not expecting to get to go anywhere, but yeah. it might be, it's a good opportunity. And so basically this whole thing is an excuse for me to take the train. So oh, nice. I'm going to take an Amtrak to Chicago, which is oh, close eight hours, yeah. which means it's one working day. Yeah. Leave in the morning, ends at 4 p.m. Very nice. And then take the same train back, mm-hmm. leave at 4 p.m., get back at night. Um, and I'll just I'll just work during the day. So it's really, so it's kind of like, um, it's a work trip that I'm going to treat like a vacation a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but Wait, we just established that you don't know the difference. Well, <laughs> and this is all an illusion. <laughs> but uh, the the fun thing for me is um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take my bike. Oh. Um, oh. You can, this is what convinced me to do it. Is, yeah. is that you can take your bike as a piece of checked luggage on an Amtrak. Oh. You just roll up and hand it to them. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then I'm going to get out at Chicago's Union Station, bike to my hotel, and then I'll be able to, I can go around town, and then I'll just bike back to the station at the end of the, uh, the next day when the, yeah. the seminar is over. That's and really then, cool. so I'm going to bike to the station here. So I'm going to yeah. take my bike to Chicago. Wow. I'm, That's awesome. I'm just, that alone is like, so even if the trip is kind of a bust, like it'll be a nice two days. And I'm not going to fall behind on work like I did when I was in Toronto because I'm just going to, I've got two working days mm-hmm. there and back. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm just gonna take it, and I'll get to be on the Amtrak, which is great. I've I talk about trains all the time. I've never been on a, on an Amtrak. Oh, really? I think you really like it. I mean, especially yeah. since you're not doing like an overnight trip. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh yeah, that's the thing. It, it's a co- coach seat, but yeah. a coach seat is like three first class airplane seats. Yeah. On Amtrak. Yeah. And it's not overnight, so it's just yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, and at least I don't know. Um, I don't know how it is in the train to Chicago, but the one that I took out to Montana, they had like a big um like a viewing car. Yeah, it's the same train. Uh, the Empire Builder. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was beautiful. So, you know, when you're staring at North Dakota, there's not much to look at. Um, <laughs> it's the it's the Portland to uh, to Montana stretch that's beautiful. <laughs> and that wasn't the one that I was on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's still got great lighting and it's very expansive. And yeah, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, but until then, uh, I got a topic uh, for today. Composition over inheritance. Yes. This is so weird sounding. Well, it's one of those, you, you know, when you're a programmer, you hear these things. And I mean, I guess if you're, 
you're a self-taught programmer. I'm not, I'm not really sure what it's like for folks who go through a program uh, for of, in computer science, but sometimes you'll hear these terms and they'll be kind of like, um, uh, not like Matt, they'll be kind of like totems. They'll, they, yeah. They'll, they'll signal a philosophy and then you drill down and you're like, oh, I, this is just the thing you've the, else done that I sort of understand. This is not just a name for it. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. Yep. yep. Um, but it does help you kind of frame your thinking and it can help, you know, if you understand kind of fully. So basically, mm-hmm. Um, uh, composition over inheritance is a concept in, in object-oriented programming, which says instead of saying vehicle, car, truck, whatever, yeah, like that—the yeah. sort of that metaphor or yeah. animal, mammal, dog. Yeah. Um, you just have components. So you just have uh, for the animal one anyway. Mm-hmm. You have ears and eyes and brain, and then those are all components all put together on an object, and then that together creates your dog. Ah. Rather than it being an, an inherited chain of classes, okay. Um, that, like all abstract object-oriented examples, it's utterly useless in practice. Mm. And I wish people would stop teaching this as any more than a metaphor, yeah. Because they never, they're never valuable in terms of of, of, of use cases. So I'll talk a little bit about uh, what I'm doing in Dream Settler that has made me think about this topic. Um, but the idea is that um, it it's about code reuse. Is the real big thing. So okay, yeah. if you've got a bunch of different systems in your game that need to behave in a certain way, but they all have completely, they're all part of different um, sort of uh, uh, parent systems, mm-hmm. um, you might find yourself reusing a lot of code, uh, rewriting a lot of code rather. Or you'll end up just being like, oh, I know, I'll just make a bunch of static methods for this because I'm going to use it a bunch of different times. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty common thing. And you're like, well, why is this object-oriented anyway if, it's, if, it's, if most of the functionality or a big part of it is just static and available all you know yeah, across yeah. the entire scope of the project? So composition lets you just say um, to actually just have a piece of code that is incredibly modular and then can be used elsewhere. Um, the thing about it is that it's really hard to do right and if you're doing it right, you've probably wasted your time. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of the overall opinion I have of it is like it can be good when um, a situation you're in demands it. And there are some people who treat it like a philosophy. And I think that's fair enough. I'm not here to debate it exactly. But mm. for me, in my experience, it works well when I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Then it makes some things a little bit easier. Yeah. But I don't know that I would really ever choose it. Uh, in a vacuum. That is good to hear. My yeah. brother was preaching this kind of philosophy for vengeance all the time. Right. And I hated it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just learning what Booleans were, dang it. I wasn't trying to hear all this advanced crap. Well, he'll bring him onto the, onto the, he'll bring him to the table and I'll have the debate with him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the one thing that, the one reason you'll be forced to do this, mm-hmm. uh, if you are, if you're a Unity developer, yeah. as many of us are, and I am on Dream Settler, mm-hmm. it's kind of forced on you as a philosophy, even though no one really uses it. Yeah. So the whole idea of a game object in Unity, and for those people who don't use Unity, a game object is, is just a physical object in, in the game, and that's how you add scripts to, the, to, to your game. Right. Um, in, a, in a normal piece of software, you have a, a piece of code, a, a main, or some sort of entry script, and then that will generate new objects that generate new objects that generate new objects and that's object-oriented programming. Unity is like, nah, you can instantiate a game object which itself has no properties. Mm-hmm. It only has components that you add to it. Mm-hmm. And so at its core, Unity is 100% 
composition over inheritance. Okay. Like that is how it works. Oh. Um, if you've made a Unity game, you you are already using this system, mm-hmm. but you've also probably not really bothered using it right because yeah. it's kind of awkward and slow to do this. You'll hear this in some Unity tutorials, which is like, oh, the great thing about adding component scripts to a game object is that you can reuse those components all over the place. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is that you compile or you collect a set of components onto an object and then you turn that object into a prefab. Yeah. And then you reuse the prefab all over the place. Yeah. That's just inheritance. Yeah. That's just object-oriented programming. Basically, yeah. Um, but even though it's it's you're you're hammering in a much more intuitive and I would say more natural sort of systems design onto Unity's compositional sort of structure. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get a lot of problems. So if okay. you're a Unity developer, you're very frequently you have a prefab and the prefab is called player, and then you have player script. Yeah. And it's like, why isn't that the same thing? Yeah. Now, Godot users are like, you know, screaming, uh, you know, across the world, uh, hoping that <laughs> we'll hear them in the clubhouse uh, because that's how Godot works uh-huh. is that when you make an object, it is itself a class and has properties you can give it. It's much more natural, much more intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Unity is not like that. There, There's game object and game objects got nothing on it. Yeah. Like there's a transform component but on every game object. A separate component. And that, that the, you're, you are, for, everything has a transform component, yeah. which is silly enough, mm-hmm. especially when you're like, like, what is my save data? I need a transform component. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I need to do the exposition of like this configuration and blah? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the transform component is just, is also on top of the game object. It's just for some reason you're forced to have one. Mm. I don't, I don't understand that. Mm. Um, so all the clunkiness, I mean, we've been complaining about unity for the last couple of weeks yeah. with all the sort of drama, Yeah. but like let's, now we're going to get back to the regular reasons to complain about unity. <laughs> That's why the engine sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, uh, unity is like democracy. It's the worst system except all the others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so really, the like core to the way that you're supposed to be working in this system is that. But truly, nobody does. I mean, you have like, oh, we're going to have an enemy, and then we have enemy controller, and then yeah. that's going to have some extra components on yeah. it. All of the in- inbuilt components, the rigid bodies, the um, you know, the the sprite renderers, all those things you add to a game object, you then need to make a reference to in your controller script. Yeah. Which makes no sense. Yeah. Why doesn't your controller script just say new this? Um, but instead you need to add component and then... Re- so like that's what makes Unity complicated mm-hmm. because it is designed for you to use in this composition over inheritance thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're someone who doesn't have a programming background and uh, really have no programming experience whatsoever and you come to Unity as a designer, as someone who wants to build it like a visual aid yeah. and you know you can't make any custom tools yet or, or maybe there's a couple of script templates you use... That compositional thing is a, actually a way to get started. So I'm going to stitch these pieces together and suddenly I have an object that falls and lands on the ground. Yeah, you're describing me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's, there is value to it, uh-huh. I think. But um, this is a, a thing that I sort of will get into sometimes, which is that easy to learn isn't always as good as easy to use. Yeah. And sometimes hard to learn is easier to use. Sure. And so there's a fine line there, right? There's a balance that you have to have. And I, that, I think one of my main criticisms of Unity is, is really that, that like I am all the time forgetting to link up references. And that is not a programming thing. That is a Unity thing. Yeah. Um, those references are, are inbuilt when you're just making a, 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 a game that's built on inheritance because references to things exist because the thing that created them defines the reference. Yeah. Whereas in, in, in a compositional system, you have you have an open like linkage that something needs to be attached to. Yeah. Um. It it doesn't actually create it or have any responsibility for it. Okay. Um. Now like, again, in practice, we use all these things with an inheritance mindset because um, inheritance is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. But 
Unity wasn't designed for that. And then along comes nested prefabs. Yeah. And nested prefabs are is a is an inheritance philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. You have a prefab, you have a prefab variant that that adopts uh, properties that can be overridden. Classic OOP inheritance, like design. Yeah. Under the hood, not that at all. But that's how it feels. Now, at the same time, wouldn't it be great is if you had a, a prefab with a controller script and then its prefab variant could have the child of that controller script? Yeah. Nah, says Unity. Yeah, that would, that would be nice. So it's just a, 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 a big mess and it drives me crazy every day because to fix it, you do would need to tear apart Unity and start over. Yeah. Okay. And would, or use Godot. Um, <laughs> because it's much more suited for that sort of thing. Yeah. When you make a variant in Godot, you get a child script that goes along with it. Like, mm. That's how it works. Very natural. Um, I yeah. wish I was using Godot. Um, <laughs> I was I was gonna ask. Um, yeah. I I feel like there's an example of me using it, maybe not in a good way, using um composition in a way that works for the project that I'm working on now. Uh huh. Um, and I I'm curious your thoughts, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have a player thing it's got a player script it's gigantic because of course it is yep. um and it has a movement script that um doesn't do anything on its own but has a bunch of functions that allow give it access to the um the uh, rigid body and stuff so it does the moving for the player right i also use that movement script on ai and stuff mm-hmm. so that and theoretically other things if i needed them to move similarly to how the player moves yeah. Is that a good example of composition? Yeah, that's okay. that's classic. Cool. Um and it's great because you find that like you just need to interface with that movement script the, like the it, the the connection points between the player in that yeah. or an enemy in that yeah. or any other kind of object that needs to move are the same, right? You, yeah. you find you don't need to make exceptions inside the movement script. Yeah. And so that's a perfect uh, candidate for something like that. Cool. I I've, I found myself I, I suppose this structure I found myself recognizing or using more um the things where you put like eye movable and stuff in front of interfaces. Interfaces. I've been yeah. using more interfaces, um, like the past few years. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this kind of a structure f- kind of falls in line with that, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of um, and interfaces for those are not. I'll, I won't really get into it, but it's. I, I'm imagining for you anyway. It's yeah. a tool to make your workflow better. Yeah. Because with an interface, the compiler is like forces you to hook up things you might forget to hook up. Yes. Right. It's like, oh, you need to implement this method. Uh, in this child class mm-hmm. um, because as an interface requires you to yeah. um, rather than it just being available for you to. Yeah. And so that means that when you make those things, it just keeps you on task a little bit more. Yeah. It's not the only thing they're good for, but it's well, a very important thing they're good the way for. That, the way that I use it is I know that I want like a series of interactable things, right? Yeah. And so I'll make them, I guess I just made them interactable. I didn't call them I interactable. That'd be weird. Right. It'd be two eyes. Um, um, and so like they have these functions. One of the functions is use. All of these interactable things maybe use the use function differently. Right. But I know that if it has the interactable interface on it, I can I can call use and it will do something. Right. And you don't if because it implements an interface, it does not to be to be, to be a child of a class exactly. that has that, right? Yeah. So that's that's the real sort of like under the hood advantage yeah. of using interfaces. Mm-hmm. Um it's still a sort of as it's it's a very close cousin to child classes. Yeah. Um, but it, it does have that specific use use case. Yeah. Um and that is that idea of like building your systems to facilitate your workflow. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think it's, I mean, as a self-taught programmer, it took me a while to unlearn this, which is like, ultimately all you need is for loops and <laughs> if statements and you're fine. Yeah. Um, all the rest of this stuff is to just help you work faster or work better, mm-hmm. but actually you don't need to know any of it. Yeah. And you know, I'm not, I'm not entertaining any exceptions. Like <laughs> you can kind of get everything done. Mm. Um, now, of course, you don't want to stop there because you want to be more efficient. You right. want to be better done. But right. 
um, when you find these sort of workflow enhancers and you get like really excited about it, it doesn't really unlock new things. Yeah. It just frees yeah. up time to discover other things. That is what I have found. Um, and so um, when you find yourself in a situation where a composition um, structure works better than an inheritance structure, then like by all means go for it, especially mm-hmm. in an environment like Unity where you're really forced to do it. Yeah. Um, and again, the, 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 the main thing is reuse. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think people get really excited about this as a structure don't always go all the way and like really justifying their structures this way in order to facilitate reuse. But like with your movement script yeah. or in the examples that I'll lay, lay out um, really heavily based on um, uh, user interface components mm-hmm. um, um, that, that reuse is vital because if you, if you make hundreds of variants of certain things or even just a dozen yeah. um, having just, you know, six components that all combine in, ultimately dozens of ways yeah. is better than making dozens of children of other classes, yep. right? Yep. Um, even if it's not that difficult to make those things, you could find that like that sort of Lego building block approach is faster and better. Yeah. Um, but then there are certain other systems and things like, I mean, on, mostly things like uh, player controllers and um, uh, data systems, uh, things that are just like that is not going to give you that much benefit because there's only a few types of those things uh, in uh, in your game. Mm-hmm. Um but um, the, 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 the tricky thing is to make sure that you're not over-engineering a system because all those connection points need to be established. So yeah. like it might feel more efficient sometimes because you're writing less code in certain places you're reusing, but then you're writing all this like webbing to yeah. get things, the, all these references to each other. And then suddenly you definitely have, and I've definitely done this, where it's like, okay, this component knows nothing about these other components. Right. But what if it needs to know? Uh-huh. <laughs> just this one time it needs yeah. to know. All right, fine. I'll put a variable on there that, that, that just, you know, a reference to that other thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll only run this code if it's added to the thing. Yeah. And it feels like such a failure. Yeah. <laughs> but those, but those <laughs> exceptions kind of like almost prove the rule in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't mean that you failed in building it. It just means that if you feel this like, oh, okay. You, it's, it's called composition over inheritance. It's not composition instead of inheritance, yeah. right? Like they're meant to be used together. They're both object-oriented systems, mm-hmm. um, that, you know? And so I think that's, that's when you start to, if you're supposed to be self-taught, thinking about the dogma and thinking about like, okay, what should I do? And very rarely what should you do is what the instructions say you should do. It's so contextual and so much contextual, not just the project you're doing, but the programmer that you are. And so it can yeah. be very easy to build a system that you see examples of because that, that's and all the seven reasons why this is the best way to do it. But then like, is it really worth your time to build it that best way yeah. when you could just build it a way that you know a little better? And so maybe the end result would have been faster and better, more efficient if somebody else made it. Mm-hmm. But you're you right now and this has got to get done by Monday. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> it can be really easy to get trapped into like, oh, I'm, I'm learning how this system works and I'm putting it all together and following these these new rules and it's exciting and I'm seeing it work. And then you realize you spent three extra days on it. Yep. You could have just done it the less efficient way and it would have worked just fine. Um, I've definitely been in that trap a couple of times. And that's why core routines are amazing because I use them all the time. <laughs> right, right. And that's why no one will ever uh, take you on that trip. Yeah. Take that trip with you because it's like it, it works for you mm. and that's all the evidence you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm using it in Dream Settler for uh, buttons and UI controls oh, okay. where uh, interfacing with a couple of our different systems. So we have um, like a... We, so in Dream Settler, you open up the settings menu in this fake OS, and yeah. it's the settings menu for the game. Yeah. So you actually change uh, um, you know, options for the game in there. Use those same components, that same UI, to change settings inside of apps inside the OS. That doesn't go into a, a, a 
um, an options configurator, that goes as part of that player's save data mm-hmm. because that's the because mm-hmm. if another player is playing, those settings are different for that player. Mm-hmm. So we have all these different sort of uh, UI components, and I'm trying to abstract as many of them as possible. Yeah, and I'm finding that what I need is I need a very thin hub script, mm. and this is where I get a little frustrated because ultimately I still need something to to be the the, the center of of this, and then everything has a spoke on it basically. Yeah. So I have a UI control script which just has a sort of very, you might call it an interface where it yeah. just says like it has a, a, a setter and a getter mm-hmm. and it has handlers for when things are set and get gotten by other methods. Oh. So you load up save data and you open up a, 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 a settings menu. Yeah. That component needs to read that data. Yeah. So it needs a, a, a handler for what happens when it needs to get the value. Where does it get it? Well, in the settings app, it gets it from the options uh, object on disk, mm-hmm. right? Um, from a mini game, it might get it from something that's just in memory and doesn't need to be pr- uh, preserved. Yeah. Or in a, a, a component inside of another uh, inside of a web a web page, it needs to get it from um, an actual property in a text file that represents a, a fake web page on our fake internet. Yeah. And so those then become the the sort of the component that I compose into these structures, which is two different types. So there's the um, uh, there's the control type, which is, is it a string? Is it an enum? Is it a file picker? Is it a color picker? What, ki- what kind of physical thing is it in terms of its control? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, and that's its own separate script that gets added onto it okay. um, rather than a child of the, con- of the uh, main control script. Mm-hmm. And then there's a value script, which is that what is this even for? Yeah. Is this something that pulls um, like CSS style information from a web page yeah. um, uh, either to save or to read? Or is this something that, uh, that changes the resolution in the, in the uh, you know in, in app data yeah um, and so those things need to be uh, are, are totally separate um, they also have different like impacts on the physical controls so in the case of um, so I'm building a, a, a basically a, a, a web page builder for for dream settler right. um, when you have a property you set the property and then I need to say that when you set it that script needs to know what type of, of value this represents it's a value that was set by the user and then I color code the, the the number that appears in the box. Now that value can also be set by an inherited value from a of a element above it in the tr- in the node tree, or it can be set by a style information, or it could be set, there's a bunch of different ways it can be set. And I color code that to provide some usability to the user. Mm-hmm. I don't need any of that stuff when the user is picking their background, their desktop background in the settings app. Right. Yeah. And so there's a, a lot of things that are very unique to each type of control, um, and because of the way it works that I need prefabs for all these different controls in all the different contexts that they exist. Mm-hmm. Inheritance is essentially locked off for me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I have I have to rebuild it each time. And that's where that's how Unity is forcing me to do it this yeah. way. Um I think there's benefits to it on its own, but truly the reason I am the, the, the core reason I'm building it this way is because I have to. Mm. Otherwise it would take ten times as long and I'd be redoing work over and over and over again yeah. because of the things that Unity doesn't allow me to do in terms of like, you know, uh prefab variants. Yeah. Mm. Um but um, I mean, I might have none of this might have made any sense to you at all. But like, think about your own systems and how um, like you kind of have to imagine forward how much of it you're really going to be using. Yep. And how much is it okay to rewrite it three times versus build a whole complex system of components to compose the different combinations because you know there's going to be thirty of them. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I mean, I like the way you're phrasing it is reuse because, like, that's the reason why I made the movement script the way the way that I did because, like, I could have the player and the AI move use because they move due to different um, reasonings, right? Like, the yeah. player controls the player, 
Um, and then the AI does its own deciding on how and when it moves. Um, but like I made them use the same movement uh, script solely because uh, I knew they would be moving similarly and I didn't want to have to um, put in like the same code in two different scripts. I want them to be consistent so I don't have to like manage two trips movement systems basically yeah. right um so that's kind of that's the reason why i did it so like it could be beneficial um in other cases as well if i need an object to move similarly to how um an ai or a player would move but like it uses different reasonings for it i can just grab the script and put it on there and it won't move the exact same way and then when i do this and there's a bug with this object because i didn't expect this when i started making the script or whatever the first time um i just go into this one script and edit that and i don't have to go in the other two and make sure that they work the same way as this new item or whatever right right and yeah. this is where it rolls into the big big awesome thing about object-oriented programming or yeah. how you're building things is encapsulation mm. is like restricting objects yeah. not always scripts but objects mm. to small jobs yeah and uh, both of these systems uh, a composition and inheritance are uh, treat that as a really important thing and it just goes about it in a, in a different way mm -hmm. um but yeah, I guess that's, I mean, basically I just want to talk about this because like I'm deep in it right now yeah. and it's kind of driving me crazy <laughs> because I keep running against its limits. Yeah. Um, not just in Unity, but generally, like I say, I still need to have kind of a hub component rather than, you know, just a, a, like infinite combinations. They all need to have one of these things, Yeah. which is it's kind of not that different really than an inherited, uh, you know, parent class. But so yeah. it goes <laughs> because ultimately these things are, it's programming, but it's still design thinking. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Ellen, you let us have this for this whole time because it's programming stuff. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh, but is any of this track for you? Some of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was interesting when you just described because I've only scratched the surface of Godot. But when you were initially describing it and how it worked in Unity versus Godot, I'm like, oh, wait, no, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it is really fundamental. Um, and I worked in Unity enough to know that like the the fundamentals are that it's somewhat disconnected the way you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Um I'm I'm trying to imagine this hub configuration a bit more and I would like to see it at some point like over your shoulder. Yeah. Not today cuz it's late. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would make it a little click a little bit more for me. But may, hopefully hopefully for people who are, you know, listening and who are maybe a little more familiar with the engines and something they can they can work through yeah and you know i, I don't have a lot of experience on unreal but there's a very similar kind of thing actors in unreal are similar to um game objects in mm -hmm. in unity not yeah. exactly the same but a similar kind of notion of like you put things on things yeah um and um definitely different working environments but i think godot is the first one to say just like hey i know it's an it's an editor but like could we just make it like like a programming interface please and kind of found a, a good way to make it both ways mm -hmm. um i'm like a lot of Unity developers these days, um, <laughs> I'm like, I should really put three weeks into it or something. Like yeah, that. but find those. You got to find those three weeks first. I feel like Ellen. Uh, I'm not going to get anything done in Godot until you do. So I may never get anything. Done. <laughs> at this rate, yeah. At this rate, yeah. Although you are also like deep in building, like working on a game that's being built in Unity right now. <laughs> I'll say that has not stopped me from wasting my time on other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Sure. You got to come in with the wine. <laughs> so, 
folks, and I say Ellen Stephen, folks. Yes. Um, you know, we don't talk a lot about the reviews for the podcast. Yeah, we don't. But you know, it's time. We got to get down on our knees and beg. Please review the show. It is a good way for new listeners to find us um, on iTunes or Spotify. I say iTunes, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple other places. Um, we've got good... When people give reviews, they're very kind. Yeah. Um, a recent review uh, we got was positive, inclusive, helpful, and a joy to have on the car speakers. Aww. Which is like, that's concise. You know, you don't need yeah. to give us an essay. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, a little, little haiku-y, you know, a little bit of poetry. Yeah. Um, five stars would be nice, but really it's your call. Um, and on Spotify, I think you just, just star ratings, but we're like five or like a perfect record on oh, Spotify. Let's go. Um, so maybe the more we ask, the more we put that at risk. Well, but I'm taking, <laughs> I'm taking the gamble. Yeah. Please review the show wherever you can. It is definitely one of those ways to uh, promote natural engagement for the show. So really it's a favor we ask of you, but you know, if you're a listener, you're a fan, you want other people to listen to, right? Yeah. It's in your interest. I'm positing. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Just go with me on this one. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you going to say the pun or should I? My brain is so mush right now. All right. Elegance. Elegance. Ellen's topic is elegance. Ellen, elegance. Elegance. Right. Yeah. So that's an example of how not to express this concept right that was not an elegant i'm not saying i don't love it <laughs> it is amazing but it's also not very elegant uh, it is for sure elegant <laughs> <laughs> apparently when i get tired i turn into dale <laughs> i sing and i say things uh, anyway okay um so i like elegance a lot mm-hmm. what is it so i was kind of prepping and thinking about it and i googled it and i typed in what is elegance in space and google being google filled in with some useful suggestions which i wanted to just list out for you at the beginning of this little short talk okay um because some of them were really fun we've got a list so when i typed in what is elegance in space it typed it suggested what is elegance in programming programming but it was misspelled um yeah what is elegance in French? What is elegance in football? What What is elegance in a woman? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think there are some common themes in some of these definitions. Um, I skipped over the football one for sure. Uh, so just to get, share the, a few of them with you. Um, programming, according to PC Mag, in programming, an elegant program means that the program's logic can easily be traced by another programmer. Mm-hmm. In the past, it meant that the program was also using the least amount of RAM and CPU time. Apparently, we don't care about those things anymore. <laughs> well, a lot of those things are optimized at the compiler stage. This is something that when someone talks about the most efficient way to write, you know, getters or whatever, mm-hmm. like sometimes you're like, they just don't know that sometimes the compiler will solve these problems for you and you're just optimizing for no reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always know when those things are if you don't have expertise on the subject. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think the in the past I think is an appropriate way to describe that. Yeah, cool. So that's PC Mag. 
In art, elegance is smoothness of movement, beauty and simplicity in form, tasteful ornamentation, and stuff like that, which is probably my favorite description. I quoted that exactly from a blog called aestheticsforbirds.com. So we will link that in the show notes because it seems like it might be worth checking out. Just because this is stupid. (laughs) According to australianfinishingschool.com. Oh, no. (laughs) Elegance in a woman is defined as the quality of being graceful and stylish in appearance and manner. Therefore, an elegant woman can be defined as someone who carries herself with poise in a sophisticated and fashionable way. From the perspective of a man. Well. That's what that reads as. Is like, that is definitely from the male gaze. I just want to point out that this website doesn't use consistent punctuation and writes in sentence fragments. So maybe they should focus a little less on their fashionableness and more on their their education. (laughs) Um, I mean, not to like, we don't have to belabor this point, but like, this is a great example of why that term is... I mean, dangerous is not the right word. I mean, here it definitely is. But yeah. but I mean, where it's like, it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Yeah. It's a, yeah. you know, when you see it kind of thing. Yeah. It's very culturally contextual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That itself doesn't make it bad. Yeah. It makes it dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Well, I personally liked the way that Aesthetics for Birds described elegance in art. Um, PC Mag, I don't have any quibbles with the way they talked about elegance and programming because I'm not a programmer. Also, programming <laughs> has a tendency to take words that could mean anything and give it a meaning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they can define it however you want. I guess yeah. it's going to be it now. Um, AustralianFinishingSchool.com can <laughs> sit on their definition of elegance <laughs> and, and spin. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so in, in researching elegance. Yeah. Um, I admit, like, I am attracted to the word. If I've always heard it, like, referred, um, mostly used, like, in terms of mathematics. Okay. Like, there's, like, an elegant way of describing the mathematics of a thing, like, Mm -hmm. the mathematics of physics or something like that. Um, but I've also heard it a lot in games. And so I pulled out a few quotes, um, from a couple different sources about elegance in games. Um, I found this, honestly, it, I subscribed to this person's, um, medium blog because I want to read more from him. I really liked it. His name is, I'm going to probably butcher it um, because I didn't go to finishing school. So I don't know how to. Leo Lissetra? Maybe he's French? Just a simple, non elegant person um, trying to pronounce words. Okay. So he had some really great quotes about elegance in games. Um, and then we kind of really broke it down and gave a lot of examples. I think most of them, not all of them, but most of them from like, tabletop gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that he talked about was. The definition of elegance being in the relationship between the simplicity and the complexity within a game at the same time. Hmm. So, yeah. So, like, the the idea of offering the maximal amount of depth for the minimal cost and complexity. Oh, I see. Right. So, like, Go, I feel like, is one of the games, like, the game Go, the board game Go. You have the dots. Right. Black dots, white dots, you capture territory. Right. There's, like, two rules in the whole game. There's not, there are not many rules. Right. Basically... The there aren't very many rules, but there are just like a quadrillion bazillion inconceivable number of permutations of the board Mm -hmm. because of the idea of elegance. Right. So you've got this small rule set, these simple set of components and a wild amount of um, of depth, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. I would say that facilitates, and again, these are just words that mean nothing, and it's all whatever, but (laughs) I would say a game like Go and chess, but Go in particular, facilitates or makes possible elegant play, 
But you said down two people who like get a 15 minute primer on Go. They learn everything they know to play. They understand the game. They play. It's going to be messy AF. Yeah. 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 Right. It's not going to feel elegant to the players or to observers. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But again, that's a contention I'm making rather than really a fact I'm stating. I'd oh, say. yeah. I think that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting wrinkle in it, right? Because yeah. if you're looking at the rule, if you're looking at elegance in terms of game design, then you might be looking at like depth of gameplay over complexity in rules. Yeah. If you're going to lay it out like a equation, like an equation, like Leo did. Right. Um. He has some really great graphics. You should check out the blog post. Mm. We will link it in the show notes because he like made awesome like blackboard doodles. It's super cool. Anyway, but that doesn't necessarily translate into elegance of experience or like ele- elegance in aesthetics. Right, right. Yeah. I guess it could, maybe I'm hung up a little bit on elegance being a, a sort of an art, art critic word. So it's something you, you, someone who experiences a piece of work is likely to use. Mm-hmm. And so huh. th- that's why I feel like it needs to travel all the way to the user for it to get there intact i guess mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i like i'm i'm you know telling on myself here because it's like I, why why am i trying to define this yeah. well because i asked you to okay fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, so i mean yeah. if, if we're continuing to talk about definitions the way i would define elegance is just how many rules how many things you can do with a, with one thing yeah basically right yeah i think that's what um that's what I, seems to be the the general consensus that I'm seeing in yeah. game design. But I, I think of it, yeah, I think of it only in relation to game design. Yeah. So when other pe- when people bring up elegance in, in other respects, I'm like, oh, that's just an opiniony thing. Yeah. And I think of that's, elegance as a metric. Well, it's interesting you say like you can do multiple things with one thing because yeah. that sounds like versatility, sure. which isn't you know orthogonal or anything. Yeah. But I'm thinking of like the cheese grater that has four sides for different types of cheese grating. Yeah. I would not call that elegant. But I would call like a cheese grater that just does one of those things, but just amazingly well. Mm-hmm. I might call that elegant. Really? Okay. Yeah, like sort of. The, it, it's elegant. It's purposeful. It has. It's simple. It does the thing well. Okay. Whereas the thing like this, this Swiss Army knife has fifteen different uh, right blades. I yeah. would I would describe that as having a lot of. Hmm. I guess I, I would have it describe it as a lot of options, a lot of different things in one object, which would yeah. not make it elegant. Right. I would describe. Oh, okay. Okay. You're saying sort of one expression, but multiple. Yes. Contexts or outcomes. So okay. So okay. an example. Yeah. So an example. Are in, well, I'm doing Ellen's job because Ellen does this. All no, time. this is great. Um, an example I was thinking of. Is... Wait till he does the job before. He does the job. <laughs> yeah. Give me a second. Um, is Mario's jump? I feel like you can do a lot of things with Mario's jump, and it's a very simple thing. You just <laughs> jump. You go up. You go down. And you can move, I guess. Um, but like you, you know, you can do a lot of stuff with it. You can move up to different platforms. You can jump on enemies. You can get points. You can access things. There's a lot of stuff you can kind of do with it. Right. It's the interface to all the things you do in the game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I would describe that as elegant. I would not describe a Mario game as elegant. But <laughs> there's a lot going on. We'll fight about this later. Okay. But I. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. a really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Does that match your definition? Yeah, that's kind of what that is what I'm hearing. Cool. That is what I'm seeing, and kind of it feels intuitively correct when we're thinking about elegance in terms of game design. Yeah. Um, would I call Mario elegant in gameplay? I don't know. Depends on the specific game, probably. All right, I'll fight you about this later too. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> from what angle, though? I don't know. Just would defend my boy. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not Fair saying enough. he's bad. I do the same. Not he's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. Anyway, okay. So I think I think we're 
I think we're kind of settling. Like when it comes to game design, it seems like that's where people are using it a lot. Yeah. Um, the the blog post that I mentioned was just like listed out a bunch of different um, reviews actually that he pulled from like the back of board games, yeah, mm-hmm. tabletop games, talking about the elegance of the design. And he also Leo also talked about um, how that's actually very important when it comes to tabletop games because um, you're you're you know the computer is a human brain, yep, yeah, which has a difficult time processing a lot at the same time. Um, or rather, it's processing a ton of information at the same time, but only a small slice of it is going to be game rules. Most of it is like, keep breathing. Don't fall over. <laughs> Are there any tigers? <laughs> Are you hungry? You know, like, yeah. there's all that's always going on in the meat computer that Those is your brain. Those things in that order. <laughs> <laughs> nah, usually for me, it's, are you hungry? <laughs> and don't fall over. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so, and also another reason why elegance is important in tabletop games is because components are expensive. Also true. Right, yeah. right. It's, there's multiple, like, uh, reasons. Right. Yeah. You can... To, to, to uh, seek out a, a elegance in your designs, yeah. Whether you're creating and messing around with compositions or inheritances, you can just <laughs> make another prefab and it's not going to make your game way anymore. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think... Um, there was this is this is where I think the real conversation, the real discussion is going to come in, right? So I there was this one quote that Raf Raf Coster. I'm probably butchering that name too. It's just going to be the day for that. Um, specifically said like, okay, the best games, the longest lasting games. I think what he meant by longest lasting is like the ones that have the most uh, cultural staying power, right? Yeah. Not not like a, a round of risk. So the longest like. Culturally, longest-lasting games have few rules and a, and a few special cases and achieve their replay through the core puzzle to solve. If you find yourself adding a rule in order to patch a rule, you may need to go back and redesign. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes sense for for tabletop games because of the things we just said. Yeah. My question for the table, the club, is do video games need to care about this so much? Is that a good guideline for video games? It depends because some people really love the menus in Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? And there's some there, there there's an activity towards inventory management, crafting, mm-hmm. all the things that are extremely inelegant. Yeah. There's there's as some speaking as someone who could wishes all that was just tossed from the industry. Sure. I recognize that that people get a lot out of stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is enjoyable. Right. So there's a place for inelegance. Um I I would I guess my sort of thesis on this as a whole topic is like it's not a it's not a it's not a metric of something being good or not. Yeah, it's just whether it's elegant or not. And then, when, but if you do, if you want it to be inelegant, you know, go for broke. Like it's fine. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, really, to answer your question, I think if you're seeking something that is an elegant experience, then it really comes down to the the what is on the player's mind. And what you burden them with. Mm-hmm. So you can have simulated worlds with lots of rules that are unknown to the player or perhaps discoverable by the player. But at the same time, the actions they engage in, what they need to know to live in that world, to engage in that world, and to be challenged by its contents, um, sh- I think should... I mean, I guess my opinion is that those same goals are e- that board games have are equally laudable in video games. Um mm. That said, video games have space for more things to happen hmm. and more things to prop up an experience that 
does does not require elegance if you're searching for elegance and experience. Yeah. Hmm. I I I I think that I think the video games I think it's not something necessarily to strive for in video games. And I think that it's less important in video games than it is for board games. And my reasoning is for that for that is mostly because like when you play you play board games for different reasons than you play video games. Oh. Um, okay, tell me more. I think that like when you play a board game, it's a social experience where everybody is coming together to beat each other up in, in the video in the board game or whatever. Um or a cooperative. Um, you know He like, says it like that's not totally his goal. Right. I'm like <laughs> I mean, some people are like, you know, need to win. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, you, you, you come to a board game with a different expectation of the experience you're coming for, right? Hmm. Um, and so I think that, like, having an elegant board game, something that, like, you can get a lot out of and get a lot of playtime out of um, and different experiences from due to a few hopefully simple mechanics or a bunch of simple mechanics, I don't know, um, is more valuable for board games because that's the experience that players ex- or want hmm. from that from yeah. that medium yeah whereas like with video games uh i'm not i'm not knocking on board games right because like this is just the this is my experience too is that like when you go to a board game you're going for not the same experience that you would when you go to a video game um whereas like with a video game you want there there can and should be some chaos something that makes it not elegant i think in a lot of cases hmm. not all cases i suppose but like a lot of cases some and frankly, elegance is like the opposing metric of jank. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's part of why I'm arguing against it. Um, but I do think that things- because listeners should know if they don't already, you're a big fan of jank. I do like mm-hmm. jank. I do like jank. Um, so take that with the context <laughs> of the rest of what's yeah. That's true. <laughs> that is helpful. Um, but I do think that like uh, I don't think that games that are elegant are bad games obviously um i just think that like having some messiness to a game makes it crunchier makes it more textured makes it more potentially interesting as you're playing the experience um so i guess that's my argument yeah i guess part of it is because it's sort of the overhead you put on a player to to process the game rules yeah like i think that you could do that in a board game right like there's plenty of crunchy ass board game mm-hmm. and the you know the audiences are smaller but yeah. they're fervent yeah um and i think that probably goes to your point yeah. which is that um that maybe is uncommon but it's the, it's that is easier done in video games and therefore because it's an experience people do enjoy yeah when they're able to engage in it then yeah it seems there's less of less of a requirement if yeah. you're trying to you know uh, bring in a, a generic a general audience yeah yeah i do what i do want to bring up and no one has said this on at the table but i do want to make make clear that elegance does not equal simplicity uh yes you did mention chaos earlier yes. but th- that's not something that's necessarily um antithetical right mm-hmm. you know i think a, a game like um like uh kids uh where it was just mobs of characters mm-hmm. that's the name of it and or um or even a game like fall guys yeah, which is yeah. like that is an elegant, simple design, mm-hmm. even though it's moment to moment insanity. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. Yeah. 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 Or like inside, for example, I wouldn't consider that an elegant game, mm. even though aesthetic, you know, this is interesting. It's not mechanically elegant, even though aesthetically I think it is. Okay. So there's your interesting split for you, right? Sure. Like inside, um, just going, you're moving from the left to the right. Yeah. And you're moving through this world. That's freaking terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh. Um, 
and the aesthetics like the the background the sound design like the character designs all very straightforward um and i would i would be comfortable using the term elegant to describe it but mechanically it's not i wouldn't call it very elegant because there's really you just go like yeah there is variation in the experience only by how much you hesitate to go through the next door yeah. pretty much right this is you where know. the subjective guideline comes in it's like it's it's elegant if there's more to it than meets the eye, I guess. Yeah. And mechanically, there isn't. Right. Me- inside. It wouldn't be mechanically elegant, even though aesthetically, I think it is. But how much more than meets whose eye? Right. Well, that's. Does it need to reach before it? Give, it, it you get you give it the rubber that's, stamp. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I don't like using elegance outside of game design. I yeah. suppose you could argue theoretically that like maybe something isn't elegant, and somebody else could argue it is elegant. But yeah. like, I feel it feels a lot more consistent within the bounds of game design. To me, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's interesting. You know, so um, the idea of it being a ratio and also how, how elegance relates to video games versus how it relates to board game design. Like, yeah. if it's more than meets, if it if the idea of elegance is that there is um, a lot of depth for the amount of rules complexity that you're putting into, mm-hmm. you can have an insane amount of depth with an insane slightly less insane amount of complexity yeah so what specifically came to mind and this popped into my head as you were talking about it mark was path of exile mm-hmm. which my husband has been playing that is not an elegant game <laughs> how do we know <laughs> have you seen the skill tree? yes i have it's not elegant <laughs> it, it's it's a total like web disaster of non-elegance yeah. at least what it seems like on the surface but right. you compare if it's a ratio issue then if you compare that skill tree Compared to the all the outcomes of the game, uh-huh. how do you know it's I, not? That's the thing that make, it's not the outcomes in the game are like you do five percent more damage in this particular situation, mm. um, which doesn't make it more elegant. It just makes it more. It gives you more depth, not even depth. It gives you more breadth, breadth, breadth. <laughs> I always feel like I have to emphasize the... it because I don't say it right. Otherwise, um, it gives you yeah. You're, there's a yeah. wider range of like little tweaks you can make to your characters or whatever, but it doesn't make the game more elegant if you pick some one thing over another thing. Frankly, it just makes you have more choices to make, mm-hmm. which makes it, as a result, less elegant. Um, that is my argument. Right. Uh, Ellen, you're saying that, but there's an anchor uh, that you're, like, if it, it, if it punches above its weight, even if it, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's, yeah. is that the argument you're trying to make? Yeah, basically. Like, it's, ele- it's elegant if it's just way more, you know, I mean, I guess this is just a self-evident definition, but if it's more elegant than you expect it to be, then therefore achieves elegance. Well, I'm not really talking about expectations. It's just like the way that I'm seeing it and the way that I'm seeing elegance described in some sources mm-hmm. in the context of game design is almost as an equation, yeah. meaning elegance is depth over complexity. Right. And so if you have lots of depth from little complexity compared to the amount of depth, then you have elegance. Right. And so I, I guess I'm arguing that Path of Exile has a lot of complexity and not a lot of depth. Not a lot of depth, because, regardless of okay. The so that's just a di- just a disagreement then. But no. I, I see where you're coming from. Like, if your complexity was a million and your depth was a billion, then you'd have a hundred elegance. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this, I mean, this is an argument for the t- the term being um, more poetic and less mathematical. Yeah. Is that like, I mean, you could you could say it's it's X messy, but it's also like x times 100 depth but x is a huge number yeah it, like well if you look at that ratio right then, like it's way more elegant yeah than something with like you know a 0.0001 mess yeah. i think and it's, 10 
depth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think it's right. not just a ratio. Yeah. It can't just be a ratio because there's... Yeah. There's more to it than that. Because then you're trying to include Path of Exile, and I will not stand for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at the art on this, and I mean, it, like, I, I think about, I mean, because we're talking about, like, elegance in, like, a, a narrower definition. Like, these mechanics are elegant. Yeah. This this turn this the way that it presents the story beat you know whatever yeah but it's a it's a word that invites a holistic kind of approach mm. and i just look at a game like this that just looks like diablo and uses neon green all over it and yeah. it's like i i don't care what any else of it is right. <laughs> that is not an elegant experience yeah and i'm not to be clear i'm not i'm not positing that path of exile is an elegant game right, right. You know, you're trying, it to, as you're as trying a, to stretch the definition yeah i'm trying stretch. to stretch the definition to see if it breaks at yeah path yeah, of yeah. Exile. where's the where's the edges of this? and i'm yeah. i am hearing that it path of exile is beyond the point of breaking well, okay so i'm trying to think of a game that would be like civilization i would not describe as elegant it can has, we back up for a second yes yes, yes. yeah i just want to talk because like sorry we might be actually headed on the same path of thought and yep. that is um but i didn't want to quite leave path of exile because i think i okay. would be able to express the thought unless I express it in those terms. Please do. Um, so basically, um, so breadth of choice in a game does uh-huh. not necessarily, it's not the same thing as depth of choice or right. depth of depth of gameplay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the key here, right? If we think about elegance as a relationship between depth and complexity, you can't get confused between breadth and depth. Right. And this is where it's very much too personal taste, right? Yeah. For me, something that has a lot of breadth is is I think the wider that goes, the by orders of magnitude does it need to make up for in depth. Mm-hmm. Whereas for yes. other people, it might be more of a one to one ratio mm-hmm. that, that satisfies their their experience of of, of elegance. Yeah, right? that's fair. For me, it's like you make it. You add three more systems. It better be ten thousand times deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, mm-hmm. um, but that is just my personal threshold. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I agree with that basically. Just because you have more options does not necessarily mean that the game is deeper. Mm-hmm. It just gives you more things to potentially do. Right. Mm-hmm. Or well, Ellen, that's exactly the point you made, which yeah. is that it needs to make up for it with depth. Yes. Um, it's just how much depth I think does vary from person to person. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. You could have two people having an equal objective um, evaluation, but that doesn't mean you're going to get. The same answer out of both of them, mm-hmm. whether it meets that threshold for them. Yeah, I think that's true. Right? I think that's true. I mean, that's why I guess it brings it back to this sort of an art critic kind of term. Mm. I think. Mm. Dang, I'm disappointed <laughs> that we that we went back to that. It's not like uh, uh, objective uh, definition, but well, I think I you're mean, right. Feel free to disagree. No, I think you're right. Like, I think that like I think you can look at it kind of objectively and say, uh, I don't know, the Kirby's uh, inhale ability is this much elegant. Um, and, but that, is that like actually elegant or is that like not elegant enough for you to call it elegant? Right. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. That's interesting. I think I mean, at that point, then it's, then it's subjective. I think when you start entertaining, inviting the opinion of the Australian finishing school, then you yeah. know that you've gone too far. Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't care about their opinion. <laughs> they would disagree. They would think that, I think their opinion is that women shouldn't play video games. Mm, I didn't read, <laughs> I didn't read that on their blog, but I wouldn't be surprised to find yeah. it there. Um, I would also say, I, I think that the degree of elegance mm-hmm. that is desired in a gameplay experience is personal taste. I think the idea of elegance as we are defining it as like a relationship between depth and complexity, you're turning it into something like a quality. How do you quantify depth and complexity? I'm not sure. How do you yeah. quantify elegance? I'm not sure. Right. But the degree of elegance that is desired is it's certainly subjective. Sure. Just like the degree of jank is subjective. Yeah. And you can have just like you can have like a fancy fancy dinner that's made of like seaweed and 
sauteed mushroom crudite. Uh-huh. I'm making up words that okay. sound fancy because yeah. I'm not an elegant person. <laughs> um, that can be really good and you can have a great time eating that thing. Yeah. And you can also then go home like the next day you can have cheesy hot dogs and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Not elegant. Right. But super tasty. Y- yep. Right. Like you might describe, a, you know, a jello mold if it's like perfectly spherical. Yeah. As a, an elegant dessert. But that would also ring very hollow to certain people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't like Jello, <laughs> no matter the shape, no matter whether you use mm-hmm. composition or inheritance to use to make your Jello. Nice games that club slash feedback. <laughs> <laughs> if you have thoughts on that, nice games that club slash Discord. If you'd like Ellen to know right now what you think about that, <laughs> feel free to tag her. Yep, yep, yep. I have one closing thought. Okay. Um, I think we should create a um a Midwestern competitor. To the Australian finishing school. Oh, goodness. <laughs> we should call it McGregor School of Jink. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Learn to walk funny. <laughs> it's only game design. <laughs> Roll up just one sleeve. <laughs> no shoelaces don't need to match. <laughs> Perfect. I'm on it. I'll start it up now. Okay, cool. All right, great. That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, NiceGames.Club. Visit us on social media at NiceGamesClub, where Dale posts about game dev resources and two-year-long projects. Reply on the various platforms or email us, contact at NiceGames.Club. NiceGamesClub is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at Patreon.com slash NiceGamesClub. If you want to keep things more casual, just stop by NiceGames.Club slash Discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be doing a second DreadX panel. But that's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Just real quick. You got to come in with the wine. We're really singing it. No, I don't. Whoever's editing this can do whatever they want with it. This is Patreon Whoever's editing this can do whatever they want with it. Uh-huh. <laughs>
Maybe this is Patreon content. You paid for that. I, yeah, I don't know. Do we want to show respect <laughs> to our, our patrons or do we want to troll them? It's a tough call. Yeah.